Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Kind of forgetting where I'm supposed to start. It is Thursday morning, and this is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. I really was just going to jump into the headline um, because I am. Uh, it's it's odd to say that I am happy to report something, but I am um, I am oddly uh, at peace about something that took has finally taken place in Indiana. Um, if you've been listening to the program for any length of time, you know that I'm I'm I just a- acutely concerned um, about not only the millions of children who have been aborted in this country, but I'm concerned about the spiritual welfare of those who experience abortion. And so we have actually had uh, several recent conversations with women who have had abortions. They have shared their grief and their sorrow and their deep remorse. Um, And it was was in a conversation um, that God really sparked in my heart uh, at the end of last summer when I read um, about all of these aborted babies whose bodies were found after their abortionist um, died. Uh, and so thousands of children um, who really then needed to be buried. And so that has now taken place. Um, more than 2,411 children whose remains were found on the property of former abortionist Ulrich Klopfer were finally laid to rest on Wednesday in South Bend, Indiana, by an act of the state of Indiana and Indiana's uh, very pro-life Attorney General Curtis Hill, um, who said at the service, the burial of these children fulfills our obligation as a state pursuant to the law, but it also fulfills our obligation to our conscience, to the unborn, whose lives were terminated through abortions performed in Fort Wayne, Gary, and here in South Bend. And so I just wanted to lift that up because I, um, there is, there is something important about um, the way we lay people to rest, and there's a reason that we require uh, babies who are aborted to either be cremated or buried, um, giving them the dignity of their humanity, and that reason is because they're really people, and to stand at a grave and name the name, to stand at a grave and acknowledge that there is a God who is greater than um, than death, that there is a God who gives life and that there is a God who receives unto himself the innocent whose blood is shed here. Um, there's grace there. And so I want to encourage you today, if you have experienced an abortion, you, you can experience the grace of God and his forgiveness. Um, and you can, live with, um, you can live with what you have done because you can live as a person forgiven of it. But you have to deal with it first. And so if you want more um, information or access to ministries related to that, if you would just email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com, I'll be sure we get you connected wherever you live to post-abortive ministries in your area. Next up, I've got Peter Kapsner. He and I continue our conversation around the Fifty Shades of Truth. We're going to talk about a David Brooks piece that is posted at The Atlantic 
arguing that the nuclear family was a mistake. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. among other things, a professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Um, Peter, welcome back. Thank you. How do you do it, Carmen, though? How do you do I mean, it's it's, Paul and I are struggling through minus 10 over here in the studio. It's not minus 10 (laughs) in the studio, uh, but it's minus 10 outside. How do you do, how do you stay away from this kind of weather, Carmen? (laughs) (laughs) I only, um, I only visit your, um, the the regions of the northern hinterlands um, when it's at least springtime. I get it. I get it. Well, Paul and I, I have mean, some extra jewels in our crown for this morning. We'll, we'll suffer on your behalf. That's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of the connected yep. body of Christ, right, Paul? Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Yes. <laughs> okay. Don't disconnect me from my people okay. uh, by suggesting that I am in a warmer climate, although I am. <laughs> okay. So uh, David Brooks um, has written what uh, the headline of which is absolutely some of the best clickbait for Christians I've ever seen. <laughs> it is. So, right, the clickbait is the nuclear family was a mistake. Now, I got to tell you, when you see a headline like that, Christians click away. Um, when, when they click on this David Brooks article at The Atlantic, what do they find? Well, they find, obviously, that it's a bit of uh, sarcasm that he's using there. And he kind of goes back through the deconstruction of the nuclear family and then advocates for sort of the reconstruction and the strengths of the nuclear family. And it's a really well-done article. I'd highly recommend anybody listening this morning to go ahead and use the clickbait and click on it because it does lay out the case for what has happened and why we really could stand to return to it, like what that would do for society at large if we would go ahead and sort of shift the trajectory away from its deconstruction and back towards its reconstruction. And recommitting ourselves to, you know, one of the most fundamental or basic institutions um, being the family. Uh, I had a recent conversation just just about the need to do this, right? The need to um, return to or recommit ourselves to the reinvigoration of real institutions. Marriage would be one of those. Family would, you know, be then like second unto it. And so I don't think we can talk about the a recommitment to the family until we talk about a recommitment to the institution of marriage. Well, I think that's exactly right, Carmen. It's one of the things that we do actually in the sexuality class that I teach is we go back through into the 1970s where we see the divorce rate skyrocket from sort of a historically stable 6% that had been there for generations, if not centuries. And all of a sudden in the 1970s, the divorce rate spiked from that sort of 6%, maybe 10% at that point to north of 50, 55, even 57%. And you see at that time in the 1970s, the beginnings uh, of a genuine sort of sociological and even academic attack on the institution of marriage, that marriage was being seen uh, as, as a place that was holding down women in particular. They didn't have sort of the opportunity that they should have had, at least according to some who were really advocating for the deconstruction of the family. And when we see that, Carmen, we see that uh, parents began to be splitting up and it got really and understandably difficult to shepherd their kids. And now we see in the 1980s the first time that kids are coming home 
And they're sort of having to fend for themselves because mom or dad has to be out at the job because it's difficult to live in a split economic situation even. And so you have the latchkey children of the 1980s. And you kind of go through, it's too long of a story for this morning, but so many of even the sexual questions of today are a direct result of the deconstruction of marriage. And so I was actually in a church last night, and that was the very topic for that for sort of the half an hour with the young people, is what does it mean to restore the sanctity of marriage? What does it mean that those vows actually matter when we say something across the aisle from one another that till death do us part? What, what is the invitation in that? And how long would it take to be able to sort of rebuild that institution? I think it's probably a couple generations, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't start right now to, to sort of begin that process. So I think we're talking about um, something that has taken about 100 years in right. terms of its devolution. And so I don't think it's unreasonable to anticipate that it's going to take 100 years um, to, in a very ardently recommitted way, rebuild one by one by one um, the institution of of marriage and then the institution of the family. Um, and so I, I do think that when we talk about something that's like a 100-year commitment— we are talking about people looking maybe in the context of their own congregation. We're, we are talking about something the church can do um, that that we might not be able to do in our neighborhood. I mean, like our neighborhoods are so transient or um, or even our our job situations, like very few people are going to, you know, like stick with one job in one place uh, or certainly in one organization for a lifetime. And so when we talk about the breakdown of institutions in the culture writ large, the church does have an opportunity here because she has some staying power. Yeah, for sure. That's the step. And, and, and I think you, you referenced that there's really two ways back, I would suggest, at least from a historical standpoint, uh, of how reconstruction and renewal happens. And one is sort of the long, slow walk of obedience, where you just simply start taking the steps, knowing that probably you are not even going to be able to realize the fullness of maybe the peace you're looking for, the, the fullness of the reconstruction you're looking for. But you're setting a stage for future generations to be able to live in something different. That, that's sort of one way. Can return to that in just a second. The other way is when something just simply implodes altogether. And in, in that implosion, it can speed up the process because people begin to ask different questions and they begin to live different ways coming out of that implosion. You see a lot of renewals coming out of just a society completely breaking down altogether. But to your point, Carmen, I think the invitation for the church that we have, and again, I was with a, another church, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and they they said, you know, Kapsner, come in and, and fix our schools, fix what our schools are teaching here in, in sort of the suburb of Minneapolis. And I said, well, I don't think I can do that. Um, but what you could do as a church <clears throat> is you could spend maybe the next three to five years really focusing on rebuilding marriage and really focusing on rebuilding sort of sexual wholeness and, and not just teaching what healthy marriage is, but manifesting what healthy marriage is and, and beginning to walk in it. And again, you might not experience the fullness of what it is that you actually desire, but you're doing something on behalf of future generations. And it takes more than just a Sunday sermon to do that kind of work. It, it takes some way of getting off the normal hamster wheel of our lives, where we sort of just spin from one hour to the next, doing the same thing week in and week out, take a couple of weeks off for vacation, then go back to our sort of week in and week out kind of idea. And I don't have all the answers for that, but I do think that a church that's willing to step off the hamster wheel and really focus on these things for a few years with their congregation could really make a dent and start shining a light in a different kind of way. All right, Peter Kapsler and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We have to take a brief break. Um, and I'm going to come back with this question. 
uh, who created marriage in the family? Um, what does God say uh, in terms of honoring our moms and dads? And then how is that kind of radically readdressed by Jesus who redefines family as those who do the will of the Father? Like, we're going to have those conversations when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Well, butterfly kisses at your bedtime prayer Sticking little white flowers all up in her My guest is Peter Kapsner. I feel fairly confident he is a butterfly kisses guy. <laughs> you know, that is, for Hallie and I feel it's so confident. Right? In that. It's, 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 Hallie, it's Valentine's Day, right? And Hallie and I are going to celebrate tomorrow night. We're going out to eat. But that is, right? Those little light kisses with sort of the totally. eyelashes and stuff. Oh, my God. Did you do yeah. that with your kids? Oh, like, for right? sure. Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we are talking about marriage, we are talking about the family. Our jumping off point is a piece by David Brooks posted at The Atlantic. You can find it at theatlantic.com. The nuclear family was a mistake. This is actually a really provocative conversation. And what David Brooks uh, essentially does is lays out the problem. Um, he uh, he gives us all of the bad news about the breakdown of, of the family here in the United States of America. I think that we are the good news people. I mean, I know we are. And so um, we want to talk about how God has created us, not only as individuals, but he has created us um, to be in these loving partnerships with one between one man and one woman. We call that marriage. Uh, and he has then created that institution, the institution of marriage, in order that there might be families. Uh, the, the birth and nurture of children is a primary reason that marriage exists. And then God gives this command that we should honor our father and our mother. It's the only command that comes with a promise so that it may go well with us. And then um, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.15 acknowledges that every family is derived from and takes its name from God, who is the father of all. The, the word there um, for family is patria, derived from patri, which is father, mm. um, also where we get the word patriarchy. And then we get Jesus um, sort of radical redefinition of family um, or getting us thinking very, very differently about who is in the family of faith and what it means to be considered by him to be a brother or sister or mother in Christ. Um, so uh, in, in Mark 3 or Matthew 12 or Luke 8, you can read where Jesus is actually confronted um, with this question, and uh, his mother and his brothers are uh, are standing outside. They call, they, you know, they send for him, and uh, and and Jesus says, look, um, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, of, of God my father in heaven, is my brother and sister and mother. Hmm. Peter, let's talk about the church and the possibility of, um, of the family of faith, the family of God becoming the place where people can find a sense of identity, belonging, and purpose, and family, even if their own Nuclear family has been a total disaster. Yeah, I think that's really key. And as part of the Brooks article, Carmen, he references some of the strengths of the nuclear family. And one of them is sort of the resiliency that you can experience when you're sort of in this networked web of relationships. And so if you're hurting in life or something happens or uh, somebody's sort of walking off the path, as it were, for a period of time, when you're in an existing web of relationships, you can sort of absorb it as the community in some different kinds of ways. You can, you can walk alongside, you can be with that person. Or if they've suffered a tremendous grief or loss, they're not alone in those circumstances. And so the strength of the nuclear family, when it is within this webbed set of relationships of grandparents and cousins and brothers and sisters, really that idea extends to what the church can be. 
And to the extent that we can practice and live in that as a church, and, and it's hard these days because we sort of have adopted this idea of church shopping where I'm going to go find a church that is meaningful for me. I have a set of criteria for which I'm looking when I go to a church. And, uh, and oftentimes uh, we start as a church community by a bunch of fragmented individuals who have made a choice to attend a church. And how do, you, how do you move from that place to a webbed set of relationships that really can become brother and sister and like mother and father and like and, and interact within that environment? And, and I think that's the invitation, and that's what Jesus has, has called the church to in so many different ways. His tent is awfully big. And his family is awfully big. And I would love to be part of an existing set of relationships where my kids, when they're hurting and they're confused and they're a little bit lost and disoriented, feel like they have trusted voices around them that are maybe not Hallie and me and maybe not even my mom and dad. But there's people around them saying something similar, though different, on behalf of the kingdom. And it kind of holds them together. But we all need that. I need that, Carmen. I don't know how you are, but I can struggle with loneliness just like anybody else. And, and it feels like there's people all around all the time. But but to be a part of a community where you have each other's back, I think that's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. I um, I have to pivot to one other headline before, um, before our time runs out. Oh, dear. Um, Burger King <laughs> is offering a Whopper tomorrow um, on trade. If you're willing to trade a photo of your ex, so <laughs> will you be going to Burger King at some point tomorrow and presenting as a trade a picture of an ex in order to get a free Whopper? <laughs> so I have a story behind this, but I understand this is live right now, right? On air, Carmen, like whatever I'm about to say is going to, people are going to actually hear. Being uh, heard by thousands of people right now, so, even as we speak. Yeah. So, so Carmen, here's the story. Uh, so Hallie and I did know each other in high school. We met in uh, actually late junior high. A bit of a rocky road from the age of 15 to the age of 23 when we got married. We were sort of uh, filled with drama, mostly me, breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together. And during our, uh, one of our breaking up phases, it was our senior in high school. And uh, I was dating a girl who was a sophomore as I was a senior. And I think I was dating her primarily because I heard that she liked me. So of course, right, if somebody likes you, it's like, well, then I must have to date you. And, and so I did. And it was Valentine's Day, senior year. And pretty much all of Wyzetta High School knew that Hallie and I should be together and that I was a bit of a disaster and, and all the drama with it. So on Valentine's Day, I'm standing by my locker at Wyzetta High School with my then girlfriend and who comes walking up with a Valentine's Day card for mm. me. My now wife, then uh, broken up girlfriend, Hallie, comes walking up in, the, in front of my then girlfriend, hands me the Valentine's Day card and walks away. It was a beautiful mic drop moment at that time. I'm hardly ever at a loss for words. I had absolutely nothing in that moment. I had nothing that I could say to either owe, one of them. You owe her. I, like I you owe her so much. You know, and so she, much. I know. Man. She does say this often. She's like, I wow. rescued you from that relationship. Wow. So so the two of us could go tomorrow and ce- celebrate uh, with maybe sharing a Whopper on Valentine's Day by bringing a photo of my ex in. <laughs> it would be in the yearbook. It would be. It absolutely it would, would be. be. Yes. Right, there you go. That's all I've got for you today, Peter. Love I it. I think that's, uh, yeah, it's going to leave it right there. Peter Kapsner, <laughs> um, who promises that by the end of the day today, his Twitter account will be live and you'll be able to find him on Twitter at Peter Kapsner. I love Until it. then, he's invisible on the internet. <laughs> I don't exist. He doesn't exist. Hey, we're, we're glad you exist. <laughs> thanks, uh, Peter, thanks for being with us. Yeah, I love being here. We'll be right back. So I feel- 
feel like every single one of us wants to know what the key to more happiness, less boredom, more rest, less rush, more love, less drama, more peace, less fear. Um, my next guest is promising all of that. That sounds like a lot to deliver, and he's going to deliver it in three words. Three words that will change your life. The secret to experiencing the joy of God's presence. Up next, Mike Novotny. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Children have a tendency to say, look at me on the tricycle. Look at me go on the trampoline. Look at me bounce on the swing set. Look at me swing. Such behavior is acceptable for children, yet many adults spend their grown-up years saying the same thing. Look at me drive this fancy car. Look at me make money. Look at me wear provocative clothes or use big words or flex my muscles. Look at me. Isn't it time we grew up? We were made to live a life that says, look at God. People are to look at us and see not us, but the image of our maker. This is God's plan. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because God's promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato. I'm welcoming now Mike Novotny. He is the co-pastor at The Core. He's a lead speaker for the media ministry Time of Grace, which you can find at timeofgrace.org. He's involved in lots of different things in Appleton, Wisconsin, and he's here today as the author of a new book, Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. Mike, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? Good morning. I am well. I am well because I know what the three words are and I am living them. <laughs> that is the key. It's not just a marketing pitch. That man, this sentence really can change a person's spiritual life. So, should we just go ahead and tell people what the sentence is? As a huge spoiler alert, um, there are <laughs> there are three words um, which, taken together, um, really do they, they change life because they acknowledge reality. Um, and yeah. so I'm going to let, I'm going to let Mike, I'm going to let you tell us what those three words are. Yeah. Let, let me set it up this way. So I got home really late last night. I was in Minnesota, about an eight hour drive home through this blizzard. And I get back really late. Haven't seen my family, my two daughters in a couple days. Uh, this morning I had to get up early to bring my buddy to the airport. But before we left this pitter patter down the hallway and here comes my firstborn daughter, Brooklyn. And, you know, she comes into the room. I haven't seen her in forever. And she gives me the biggest hug. And, you know, the joy of that moment, like for her to say, dad is here. And for me to say, oh, my goodness, my my daughter is here. The three words that I wrote about are God is here. And not like a small God or some technically correct Orthodox theological God. But I love to leave his name in all capital letters. God, even more beautiful wonderful, loving than my daughter, everyone who trusts in Jesus can say in this moment, no matter what's going on in my life, the best thing in the world, God is here. I'll admit to you that as I was considering this, um, Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Is There 
um, leapt to mind. I do believe that in every generation we need to be made freshly aware of the reality that God is. And not yeah. that, that, that God is somewhere out there. You know, the truth is out there, uh, X-Files, um, but that <laughs> God is um, not only real, but present and active and relevant and interested and here. Not just there, yeah. but here. Talk about the difference between acknowledging that God is there and has spoken and acknowledging the reality that God is here. Yeah, absolutely. I think of, for some of us, our favorite psalm in the whole Bible is Psalm 23. And you think of David there, he's rejoicing, he's content. He says, I'm not, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. And do you remember his explanation? For Because you're with me. You, yeah, you are with me. Not you will be with me when I die because I'm a believer. But right now, I don't have to be afraid because you're God and you're right here. And when I started to explore that idea in the Bible, it, I sometimes call it, it's like buying your first Chrysler town and country. And you really have no idea that there are almost a billion Chrysler town and countries on the roads of America in every park. You know, but once you, once you get one, you see it everywhere. And that's really what happened to me as I read the Bible, thinking about the power of God's presence. He would say just again and again, don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't, don't be afraid of the sickness, the suffering, this pain, this confusing situation, political stuff, family stuff. Don't, don't be afraid because none of that can change the simple fact that I'm, I'm better than that. I'm God and I'm not going anywhere because of the blood of Jesus. The book is Three Words That Will Change Your Life. The author is Mike Novotny. I actually do have a handful of copies. Um, if if you're just saying to yourself, you know what, I feel like God is distant. Um, I feel like my life is mundane. I'm frustrated. I'm a person of faith, but my faith is joyless. I don't get it. I don't get all of you people who talk about this nearness uh, in terms of your relationship with God. This is the book for you. Uh, three Words That Will Change Your Life. Um, if you want to uh, enter to the drawing to get one of the copies that I've got. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484, just the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Mike, if there's somebody listening right now and um, they just, uh, they're just kind of exhausted. Um, they feel like living the Christian life is a bunch of requirements and routines and in order to get it right, they have to get up early and have a quiet time. Carmen's constantly asking asking them where in the word they are before they're in the <laughs> in the world. So you know uh, they've they've already provoked to feel guilty if they're listening to the radio before they've been in the Word of God. Um, and you know there's so all of these expectations. What you're talking about is actually just this intimate reality of living every moment of our lives in the conscious awareness that God is present with us. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it is true rest because, you know, because of the gospel. Jesus, think of everything else. For me to say, um, you know, the perfect job is here. I have to work so hard and study so much and get the right degree and pass the right interview. For me to say my retirement is here, I have to save and I have to budget and I have to sacrifice. But this simple fact that that God is here is just the, the amazing gift that Jesus brings. First uh, Peter three, verse 18 says, Christ suffered to bring you to God. So he 
single-handedly made that true. And we don't always remember it or realize it. But I think of every day like the story of Jacob, where he, you know, he had this vision and he said, oh, my goodness, how, how awesome is this place? Because God is here. <laughs> and so he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. So I, I think of life as that amazing challenge, like God is here. Wow, if I could just remember that, that is really amazing. <laughs> These people might love me or not. They might accept me or not. They might criticize my work or not. But at the end of the day, free gift from Jesus through faith that God, who's better than boss, money, everything else, he's right here with a person like me. That's just stunning. And that that's messing with my soul every day in the best ways. <laughs> um, the book is um, is 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 great at a lot of levels. I like um, I like the illustrations, which I'm going to leave at that. Um, I like that there <laughs> that there are some pictures in here. I mean, the the illustrations are almost doodly, and I like that. Um, but I also like the study questions, and so I'm just gonna, um, as we have to go to a quick break, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share uh, the study questions from page 44 with our listeners. Um, when do you tend to think about God? Are there certain times of the day or the week when God does not often cross your mind? And if so, why might that be? And then there's this name game challenge. Text three friends. You could do this during the break. Text three friends if you're not driving and ask them <laughs> what they think of when they think of God. And God there is in all caps. And there's a reason for that because this whole chapter is about God with smaller case letters versus God in all caps. Compare their answers to the glorious God that you are starting to read about in this book and through whom you know, um, you know, in Scripture. And then there's this question about your last church experience and how um, that might be different if you actually anticipated not only encountering God there, but worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Really, really um, wonderfully, um, not only provocative, but practical, practical questions that we can apply to our everyday lives. Uh, Mike Novotny is here. He and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment about the three words that will change your life. I do have copies available. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Mike Novotny, we're talking about his new book, Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. The three words are, and the three parts of the book are, God is here. Um, Mike, um, when, we, when we take those words together, so when we arrive at really kind of the end of the book, um, when we're living the reality that God is here, what's different than living mm. as if God either isn't at all or God isn't here? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, my, my short answer is everything, <laughs> because the pressure is off. Uh, if the best thing in our hearts is the fact that God is here with me, and if, if nothing in this world has the power to change that fact, then we can live with such a peace that, you know, I, is it okay if I talk about politics for 45 seconds? Sure. You know, every, is that, this, is, is this is not a, this is a safe place. Go right ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. <laughs> you know, I, I think of how much fear there is with so many people with all the political headlines. And we're so afraid of what's going to be here in America if it goes this direction or that direction, or if he's still president or if he's not president and that person's president. 
but but the fact is no matter what happens with this country or with the 2020 election no vote in november can change those three words and god's going to be here on election night and the day afterwards and if we don't think of god as some small well yeah yeah but what i really want is a government that looks like this i can say okay well that didn't turn out the way i wanted it to but god the most beautiful powerful comforting amazing satisfying contentment inducing like happiness giving he's still right here with me and no politician can change that no boss can change that no ex-husband can change that so it to me it just takes the pressure off of performing of needing things to go my way of controlling a situation of holding my breath for the headlines wow we have this guaranteed gift through jesus that the presence of god is here right now and it always will be so right now in the um in the church where I participate and take part and am in a uh, community group, we're, we're studying, we have just made our way into the opening verses of um, the book of Romans. So we may be there for several years. I mean, who knows? We go verse by verse. So, (laughs) um, uh, but when I think about the saints in Rome, when I think about Paul, when I think about the apostle Paul, and I think about the saints he's writing to in Rome, like those are my people. And um, God was, present then and there in precisely the same way that God is present here and now. And the United States of America didn't exist when Paul wrote a letter to um, uh, Christians in a place called the Roman Empire, which now does not exist. Mm, and yes, so yes, yes. this this reality that God is here um, is so much bigger and deeper and more true than whatever the politics of the moment or the place are. Yeah, so so good. Yeah, and he's he's eternal, and he's even better than anything we could ask for. So I, I have a big chunk of the book where I try, this is, I think, the biggest challenge, but the, the most uh, potential is, you know, I picture a person's view of God like this little balloon inside their heart. And what I try to do in the book is stick a little air pump in that balloon and you know, in, inflate, magnify, how would the Bible say it? You know, lift up the name of God, glorify him, exalt him, acclaim him. There's like 15 different ways so that he stops being, oh, okay, God is here. And it starts becoming, oh, God, God is here. And I, I actually jumped on your website, Carmen, this morning. And you know what the first line in the bio description of your website says? No. Yeah, that might have been years ago. That was written, right? I know how that goes. Like, what's on my website? Yeah, so this is the first line, I think. Uh, it says that part of your goal is to reconnect the eternal with the everyday. Absolutely. And I, I, I just smiled when I said that. Like, that, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in this book. Every day that we go through, it comes with uncertain things, situations we can't control, but let's try to reconnect the eternal God who is beautiful and wonderful and with us, with wherever people are listening to this right now. He, he's there with them through faith in Jesus. All right. I'm talking with Mike Novotny. Um, the book is three words that will change your life. Um, there are an awful lot of you texting me that you want a copy, and I appreciate that. We do have copies to give away. So if you're interested, you can text me at 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four, um, Mike. Um, we probably have time for one more, you know, fairly couple of minute conversation here, like an opportunity for you to 
um, invite somebody right now who's listening who, who frankly just feels kind of defeated in the whole mm-hmm. exercise of faith. It, it really, there is a joylessness to their Christian experience. That yeah. is not, um, that is not the real life, the full life that Jesus died that we might have. Um, and and I, I just feel like I always want to um, express to those individuals that there's not only hope, but it, it, that it is as close as their next breath. So just speak to the listener right now who just feels as if God is not here. Yeah, uh, I think that person, I mean, better than my words, I would encourage them. I sometimes say a psalm a day keeps despair away. Because when you read the Psalms, they're so honest about the things we go through in life. There's suffering, there's confusion, there's people who are trying to hurt us, uh, there's, there's pain, there's sin, there's regret, and there's shame. But the last time I studied the Psalms, I found something stunning, that over 70, in over 70 Psalms, the exact same picture is used. And here's the picture, that you're living in like this city and you want your walls to be strong so the enemy doesn't get in. But when the walls come cumbering down and here comes the enemy to like take away all your joy, here's the image. But God is our refuge. God is our rock. God is our tower. Because of Jesus, the door to that refuge is open and, and we can run to it. So the Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong refuge. The righteous run to it and are safe. So I think people who are listening and they're struggling, maybe the walls of their finances or their romantic life or their own morality, they've sinned and they feel real, a lot of shame and regret right now. You don't have to just sit there and you know, get stabbed and your joy dies. There's a place that you can go and it's wide open to a person just like you. Uh, Jesus opened the door to the presence of God and you can run to it today and be absolutely safe. The Apostle Paul called it the secret of being content in any and every situation. And I pray that this book helps people take one step closer to that direction and making God their refuge. If you're listening to us in uh, anywhere in and around Appleton, Wisconsin, you can find Mike at The Core. Um, you can also find him at timeofgrace.org. You can find him at 922church.com, which I have discovered is a reference to 1 Corinthians 9.22 in order that we might be all things to all people that some might come to know Christ. Uh, Mike, what a joy to visit with you about the three words that will change your life. Um, I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. Thanks, Carmen. It was an honor. Thanks so much. We're going to take one more quick break, and then we'll be right back. Hey, let's be praying for our neighbors today. Um, let's be praying for those who do not know that God is. Let's, let's be praying prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving um, that we stand in this place where we stand, which is in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge that God is, and in the knowledge that God is near um, and has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and that he has poured out his grace upon the cross, and that it's available right here and right now to each and every person who would turn to him um, in a state of belief. So if you're in a state of unbelief, let me invite you to set aside your unbelief long enough, long enough to experience the reality that God is here. It's not just those three words that will change your life. It's living as if that's true because it is. All right, friends, uh, have a great day and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.